Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is usually not longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So before we get into our actual main topic for today, I just wanted to have a brief public service announcement that as we are recording, we are but a few handful of weeks away from WWDC. Um, and as such, it is the time for my annual message to every developer out there who will listen that now is the time to start preparing for WWDC labs. Um, so in case you're you know, if you haven't been to a WDC before, or in terms of the way this is usually structured is, you know, it, typically Apple engineers are, you know, sort of sequestered behind a veil of secrecy and don't have a, aren't, you aren't able to, to, you know, interact with them generally, except for during labs, which Apple has started doing, uh, not, not just at WDC, though I will say typically like the largest and most kind of wide ranging labs are at WDC. And these are an opportunity, um, where then, at least in the last few years, is the way they structure it is you'll, you know, have a 30, I think 15 minutes or a 30 minute, um, Zoom conversation with, uh, you know, an, an, an engineer, multiple engineers at Apple, where you can talk about issues you're running into, problems you're having, suggestions you'd like to make. And this is just an opportunity to actually connect to an, to an engineer, to have them look at your code if you want, you know, in terms of you can ha- do screen sharing and show them something. Um, or similarly, they also have design labs or accessibility labs, which are places where you can have some review the accessibility of your app or review your designs. Um, and I would just encourage everyone to start thinking about that whether whether and how you can take advantage of those lab opportunities now the reason i say that is it's you know if you you know wdc rolls around you decide hey i'd like to go to a lab but you don't actually have a list of questions you don't have a list of topics you don't have things that you actually want to deal with it's very potentially hard to get a slot in terms of when you request a slot you they ask you to kind of describe why you want it and so having a reasonable list is probably important in case it's a you know an oversubscribed lab lab slot Uh, but also just to be better prepared because the better prepared you are for your lab the more you're able to get out of it and i over the years have you know this is a method that i have used you know countless times i think this will be my 15th wwdc and so like i've honed this process down because it's so valuable and because it's something that i find that you know i always around this time of year a little bit before maybe start a list in reminders that is just questions for wdc and anytime i run into something Something or think something pops into my mind, I'll write it on that list. And so then the week of WC, I can kind of, you know, take in the announcements on Monday, work out if there's any new things to it, and then use that as my roadmap going forward. And by being prepared, I've, you know, get a ton of value out of it. So this is just my little thought that now is the time to start thinking about that. And, you know, inevitably over the next few weeks, things will come up, you'll have ideas, start capturing those in a way that will allow you to be prepared and ready to take maximal sort of value of that uh, when WC gets underway. Yeah, I personally have almost never come to the labs with real questions that I prepared ahead of time because I never follow this advice. And so every time, you know, WBC comes up and I have the opportunity to, you know, possibly meet with engineers, I'm like, oh, man, I don't really have any questions like today, like right right at this second. I don't have anything because I didn't do my homework. Of course, the story of my life, I, you know, I, I didn't prepare for this. <laughs> and and uh, and and so please, listeners, don't follow my example. Follow Dave's example. Be, be prepared. <laughs> Start now. Recording things now. Make a list now. Because in the few times that I have actually taken advantage of the labs, they have been extremely valuable. I cannot understate how, or I cannot overstate how valuable the labs have been. Really take advantage of them if you can. And the way to take advantage of them is to have some kind of question to bring to the labs. And you know, so start start thinking about those and writing them down now. 
All right. So on to our actual discussion for to, for this week. And I think the, the thing that I thought uh, would make sense to sort of bring up and start to discuss is, uh, I guess, a, a new or increasingly solidified rule for indie development that I have uh, settled upon. And uh, the rule for, for, for indie development that I'm, I'm settling is, is never make a server unless you absolutely have to. <laughs> don't do anything. <laughs> that, 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 don't, don't, don't touch servers unless it is an absolute requirement. Just stay away from them because... Uh, in the history of my of my you know indie indie life, every time I end up, I make a server, eventually I end up regretting it. Like it is just a rule for uh, my history, and sometimes the like impacts of those will you know carry uh, have to carry for years and years, and it's complicated, and you know it, it just just don't do it. And I think you know the rest of this episode will be kind of walking you through the nuance of that. Sometimes it's important, sometimes you should, sometimes you should, you know, but in general, start from the premise of never make a server for anything. Don't do it, it's a bad idea. Instead, look for opportunities that you can do on your phone, on device, and start there. And you sort of if you view that as a constraint that you are starting with, I think you can end up with some very interesting and cool places. Um, and specifically, like this last week, I launched a feature in Widgetsmith that kind of crystallized a lot of this for me, where, uh, you know, several years ago, when I think maybe it was six, six to nine months after widgets were first ap- added to iOS, um, there was a spat of sort of, of I don't know, like trending apps, which were, uh, ways to show photos to uh, share photos with someone else using the widgets on their home screen. And so essentially it's a method by which, uh, you know, you could take a picture, add it into a particular place, and then it would sort of automatically appear on someone else's phone. Uh, the most popular, I think, apps of these was called Locket, which does this and, you know, has a variety of other features, but functionally it's that sense of you want to be able to take a picture and it should have it appear on someone else's lock screen, which is a great idea. It's kind of cool. It's kind of a fun way to have this kind of ambient social network situation. But when this, when these, these sort of started to come, obviously I thought to myself, huh, that's interesting. Should I do this? You know, I'm Mr. Widget. I can, I definitely, you know, if there's a, a hot <laughs> new thing in widgets, I feel like I should be, you know, pursuing it and going after this. Like, right. That's, that's, that's my thing. Um, and it, it sort of, I thought about it for like 10 minutes and I was like, no, I'm not going anywhere near this because in order for me to do it, it would have involved, you know, some amount of server communication involving people's personal photos. And that just immediately sounded like just a complete non-starter and something I never wanted to touch in a million years, like no matter how many things I did to that in terms of like, if I tried to end to end encrypt it or whatever it is, like at some point, if I'm in, if I'm having managing a server that is having people's personal and private photos move through it, that's just sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. And so I just sort of, you know, wrote this feature off and said, no, it's never going to happen. And I just, you know, went on to the other widget features I could think of. Uh, but then recently I had someone who reached out to me and said, Hey, I want to have a way to ambiently share photos with my with with my wife and uh what i'd love to be able to do is to, if you could just make a widget that is the album's widget you already have but rather than showing a random photo could you just have it show the most recent photo that was added to that album uh, and then i can point it to a shared album on my wife's phone and i could you know share photos with her of things i'm seeing throughout the day that make me think of her and you know it's just like i don't think they'd ever heard of locket or any of those kind of apps they were just like this is something i'd like to do and as soon as they said that it was like oh, wait this is genius. Like this is exactly like the, the the ideal scenario for me where I can build this feature, 
but never have to ever see or touch these these you know these users' photos. Like this is entirely done on device. It is entirely leveraging iCloud photo sharing to do all of the heavy lifting and all of the privacy concerns and deal with all the issues that come along with that. And so I did it, and it's like it's been very popular. And I've it was just kind of a fun sort of situation of this. Of I think you know I'm glad I waited. I'm glad I didn't build the servers. Um, it, this, you know, obviously isn't the same. And I think that's something that certainly will be worth us, us unpacking that by going this route, I'm, you know, shoehorning a little bit or lim- limiting what my feature can do in a way that if I had built my own servers, I could have done so much more. I could, you know, do all kinds of different sharing models or, you know, had different things going on with it. But by being patient and taking a different approach, I think it opens me up, you know, it's, it, 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 it opens up this feature as a possibility, but while foreclosing huge swaths of problems or issues and headaches that I you know now don't have to deal with because they're not my servers. Yeah, I I cannot echo this advice enough. Again, in continuing the theme, in another way in which I do I did not follow your advice and regretted it constantly. Um, <laughs> I I currently run a bunch of servers and I hate running servers. I can't tell you how much I hate it. And and I'm lucky in the sense that the servers I run now are way way lower needs than what I used to have to deal with. Like. Overcast is lower needs than Instapaper. Instapaper was way lower needs than Tumblr. And so I really, I have a pretty good situation going here as far as servers go. Uh, But it's such a pain. And it's so much... it's tempting when when you're a nerd like us and and you 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 think of some new opportunity or some new opportunity presents itself and you're like, wait a minute, if I if I quote just and this is the biggest just in the world, if I just bounce this off a server or use a server to sync this thing over here, then I can enable this cool feature or you know deliver this great value to my users or or have this have this amazing capability and what you when you're in that mode when you're in the like new idea promise mode where you're looking at something that's that it could be really promising in that mode your mind i i think i I, i'm not a psychologist uh but i i I, it would it would not be surprising to me if there was some actual chemical in your brain that at that moment made you totally minimize or or just block out or forget all of the downsides of what you think you need to do to get there so in in the sense of oh i need to bounce this off a server that word just come i'll just i'll just put a simple server up here or you know i'll just put it on aws and some kind of weird you know some kind of weird abstracted server product that they or google or microsoft or whoever have so it'll just run some javascript maybe it'll, maybe it'll i'll just run it on cloudflare's edge nodes or whatever it, it's there's always a just <laughs> and and the the reality of that is always more complicated than that but in that moment your brain is not letting you see that reality your brain is totally tricked by man that would be cool if i could get it to work and then i could you know do do this cool thing and i think it's really useful to i mean you know look when if you're like young and don't need sleep go for it you know <laughs> it's, especially especially if you're like working at a startup or you're spending someone else's money like go for it that's that's the time to do it when you are you know, an indie, a middle-aged indie developer like us, and you know, you you want to be able to do other things with your life ever, um, and you and you need to care about how much things cost over time and how things scale over time. Uh, really think about that carefully, uh, because usually this is one of the cases where, you know, look, oftentimes there are certain problems that you really just kind of can't solve 
without running servers. For instance, if you need to have some kind of cross-platform thing, you know, you want want something to work on Windows and Android and Mac and and iOS and you know Kindles, <laughs> whatever, like whatever you need to do. Like if you need something like that, it's going to be pretty hard to do that without running services of some sort on the, in the web. But uh, there's a lot. If you're just an indie iOS developer, for the most part, you know, like us, um, there's a whole lot you can do just on device or just using the stuff Apple gives us for. Okay, I was going to say free. I I know free here is similar to just sure. earlier, but you know we'll just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> but what Apple gives us for quote free, um, there's so much we can do there, and and a lot of times the idea that you have or or the the problem you want to solve. A lot of times you can get like 80% of the way there with just doing on-device stuff and CloudKit or whatever else. Like you can you can get away with a lot of what you want for zero downside for the on the server side. Now, that's not to say these solutions don't have challenges. Certainly if you start doing things like with CloudKit, there are challenges there, there are limitations there, there are, there are edge cases and problems that you'll have to deal with. But there also are all those challenges and edge cases and problems to deal with when running servers. The difference is once you figure out CloudKit, it tends to basically work and you don't really have to do anything ongoing for the most part. I know there's a lot of asterisks here, but you know, bear with me. Um, the difference between that and running your own servers is extraordinarily different. Um, running servers, and, and again, I run really low needs servers. I usually don't have to do anything for my servers, but I still have to maintain them all I still have to set them up. I still have to adjust them as my needs go over time. Um, I have to manage their costs. And by the way, server costs are going up now for the first time, like ever, because energy costs are, are going up like crazy. So all of a sudden, my costs are like 20% higher than they were a few months ago. And, and, I, and I didn't get anything extra for it. It's just just higher cost. I, I just have to eat that. You know, If you were based on local device stuff or CloudKit, you wouldn't have to know about that. Um, as the server world changes, your knowledge has to change. You know, the way things are done changes with servers. Different tools uh, come in and out of favor. Uh, different security needs come up that you have to deal with. Different infrastructure things like, you know, IPv6 you have to deal with now, like, like this, and which I didn't have to deal with when I first set up my servers a million years ago. Like, there's stuff like that that comes up. And every single time I have to deal with one of these things, I'm like, you know, do I really want to be running servers like this is not what i do best this is not what i like doing all it's doing is is a supporting role to my app that most people while they rely on it they don't know they rely on it and they don't care and they don't appreciate it and they don't necessarily need to have the app that relies on that most people who use my app use it on one device and i don't really like they don't need to know what's on the back end powering all this stuff they don't care um and so Running running the servers is almost entirely just a burden to me. It's it's not really providing tons of customer value that they can see and know about, and it isn't the only way to do it. Like if I really wanted to totally remake the app to not use servers, I could, and I wouldn't lose much except a ton of time. But I and and that's kind of why I don't do this because it would take a ton of time, and and it wouldn't be as good in certain ways at at the result. Um, but I could actually achieve like 80% of what people want totally serverless. It, it, like it would be fine. And so I, I look at, you know, as I'm developing features over time now, I'm looking at reducing my server usage, not increasing it. Like I'm, I'm doing this giant, 
sync engine rewrite and, and data layer rewrite using using my Blackboard engine and Swift and Swift UI and async and all this stuff. And part of that is really designing the sync protocol to to be extremely efficient from the from the bottom up like try to try to reduce the server needs as much as i can with that moving certain things to the devices too like for most of the last decade i've been doing overcast i have i have generated my own um, image thumbnails for when you search for a podcast and it shows the search list and everything because podcast feeds they only include one size image in the feed and it's the full size one and that could be a couple of megs and, you know, 3,000 pixels wide. And so if you're showing a list of search results that, you know, you just need something that's like, you know, 100 pixels wide to show a little thumbnail, you don't need the 3 megabyte, 3,000 pixel one, and that would take a long time to load. And so that list would load slowly. So there's a huge advantage in generating your own thumbnails, um, you know, server side. So I do that. Uh, and that's something that it's somewhat difficult to not do if you're running a podcast app. But there are simpler ways to do that. You can outsource that to a CDN with the, with built-in image resizing functionality. Like that, you could you can have very simple services that do that, or or you know, it, you know, they cost a little bit more usually. But you can you can you can have have that kind of be like an isolated box you don't have to think about. Um, also, I used to download those thumbnails to the phone because the phone has to display small thumbnails a lot, and so does the Apple Watch and everything else. And a lot of these, like the Apple Watch, has memory constraints. And so for a long time, I would download multiple sizes of those images when you would like, you know, add a podcast, I would download those to the phone and to the watch and instead of having it resize them locally. Well, now the hardware is so good, even on the watch, that I don't need to resize them server side except for search results. Now, for your regular podcast subscriptions, like when they change their artwork, when you add a new subscription, it just downloads one. It just downloads the regular one, and it doesn't even touch my servers. It goes directly to the publisher, downloads the one master artwork file, and then generates thumbnails from that, even on the watch. And the hardware is now fast enough and good enough I can do that, and it doesn't like run out of memory or crash or give me like high CPU usage terminations or anything like that. And there's so many things like that. You know, now I could even do things like recommendations on the, on the phone. I don't yet, but I'm moving towards being able to do that. And I think this is an important kind of balance to consider as we move towards this, this new world of having a lot of really complex AI models and, and model, model-powered features. Um, the iPhone is really good at running certain types of AI models. Uh, and and ML, you know, I don't know many of the terminologies, but you know what I mean. All the different AI ML sure. kind of models. Um, and if you can make something run locally, it might not be quite as powerful as something running server side, but it's free. It's it it takes nothing from you. It just takes Apple, you know, enabling certain functionality, or it takes you shipping a model. And there's various methods Apple has to like encrypt and protect those models if you want to ship it with your app without having people steal it. Like there's all sorts of stuff like that. And and I think there this is really underused in apps because most apps currently that are using AI models are like big company apps uh, or they're stuff that is just you know, that is you know, kind of capturing the value in let's just make something that's a front end to open AI's web interface and and put it, put it in, in, put an interface on that and ship it. Uh, and there is value in that, but. Ultimately, the the significantly better business for most people to be in, if you can, is to do stuff on device where you're not running any servers, you're not running any API keys for anybody, <laughs> like you are just running stuff on device and you don't have to deal with throttling or, well, it not server-side throttling, but you don't have to deal with the, the massive scaling costs of that. And I think moving into this world of AI stuff, 
it is going to be really tempting. It, it already is for lots of people. Really tempting to look at what, what is now capable and what will become capable in the near future and say, oh my God, I have to rush to build an app against that right now. And set up servers and and bounce stuff through an API or whatever, or run your own models on your own expensive rented hardware or whatever it is. It's so tempting to see that opportunity there to say, oh my God, if I just set up a farm of high GPU servers with this sure. like, you know, four gig model that, you know, if I just do that, I'll have this amazing, powerful app feature that I can that I can ship. And you can, and that's an option, but you can also probably do quite a lot probably more than you think with the hardware in people's phones locally for free and not having to run any of that stuff. And I think there, I think there's opportunity on both sides of that. And the opportunity on the side of the phone is going to be the one that is dramatically underused because most people don't know about it, don't see it or underestimate the, the downsides and costs of running servers. Whereas if you are out there taking advantage of stuff you can do on the phone, not only will Apple like you a lot, and that, I think that'll that'll add, uh, it'll it'll increase your chances of being featured and stuff, which is nice. Um, but also, you'll be saving yourself all that time, and you'll in many in many cases you'll be providing a better experience because there won't be network latency or it'll work offline or, or things like that. So there's a lot of value in doing stuff locally, and whether it's the cool new AI stuff that that is cutting edge now, or whether it's really old stuff like image resizing, like there's so much you can do locally. Uh, on on devices now the devices are so so vastly powerful like you have no idea if you haven't really pushed these devices to do something computationally that you think will be really slow like you you don't know how fast these things are (laughs) because everything i try to make the iphone do that i think is going to be really slow ends up flying by and i'm like well that was stupid to worry about why did i why did i ever think this would be a problem (laughs) um so anyway yeah do things locally when you can. Uh, it is it is really really powerful. It is really nice, and you can usually achieve at least eighty percent of what you want, and then not have to run servers. And believe me, running servers is so much more than a just. Anyway, we are brought to you by Indeed. When it comes to hiring, trust your gut. But what if you can give your gut some help? When you want to find quality talent fast, you need Indeed, the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with just the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like matching, assessments, virtual interviews, and more. And if you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Instant Match really is incredible. Sponsor a job and Indeed will match you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description right when you post. With Indeed, you can start hiring fast. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. So that's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. Visit Indeed.com slash under the radar to start hiring now. That's Indeed, I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash under the radar. Indeed.com slash under the radar. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for sponsoring this show and all of Relay FM. Yeah, and I think something you said there that I think is just, it's in general one of those things that I think was very important for me to understand early on in my career is the difference between free and any other any other price. 
which applies when we're talking about like on the marketing side, that the difference between being free and a 49 cent app is transformative and radically so. Um, but it's like, there's just in general, that same pattern happens time and time again, that if, as soon as you can get something to go to zero, it's fundamentally different than if it is any, you know, any non-zero number. Um, and I think this is an example of where that comes into play that is just so different. Anytime you have a situation that there is a per user cost to you, suddenly your business model and your scaling and what success looks like is radically different than if you have no per user cost, that the actual marginal cost of your product goes to zero. Suddenly lots of different things um, are open and possible possibilities that you just couldn't be otherwise in addition to all the other reasons of like you know being able to sleep at night and not having to have infrastructure that you worry about and have to maintain and deal with and compliance with all kinds of rules like just in general there is just all these different things um that are that are sort of transformatively different as soon as you can get that side of things to go to zero so i think that's just important to keep in mind you know sort of 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 anything that any any time you can make a choice to move the marginal cost of your user to zero Always sort of had ten, if, you're, if you're on the fence between two, always choose that. I think would be um, the advice I would give. And I think also it's it's one of these challenging places where I think it's important to uh, the other lesson I've learned. I mean, if I'm like putting together my like you know Dave's rules for indie development is to spend you spend your time on things that uniquely differentiate your product rather than things that your user will take for granted. Um, yeah. and be, because like the, it is so easy, I think sometimes for me to say, it's like, as like, you know, multi-device syncing as an, ex- as, as a great example of this is like, as soon as you build it, it, be, it just, it, 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 it like its value just like d- d- disappears and becomes just like a given, like it becomes table stakes. But if you <laughs> don't have it, it isn't a problem in the degree that you would think it would be like, I mean, widget Smith, for example, like you would think in some ways it's like, it's like, I've never done syncing for it. Like there, there, if you have widgets, you can't realize, you can't really move them from device to device. Okay. That's fine. You know, people work, work around it or they rebuild them if they want to. The reality is, is most people just have one device. And like, I just saw in the news uh, the other day that WhatsApp, like one of the most popular messaging apps in like the world, uh, just finally allowed you to install it on two phones concurrently for the same account. <laughs> it's like they've been doing, it's like, this is like one of the most popular apps like in the world used all over the place, super successful all over. The, it's like they didn't have syncing and you don't need it because it's like, it, it, it becomes this, it, it just, it's, it's not a point of differentiation to the degree that you, the effort required to maintain and manage it is. And so whenever I think of these features or when I think of if I'm going to build something and then it's just like a wrapper around an open AI API call or something, it's like, that's not a real, a strong point of differentiation. Like there may be a a app there, there may be a market there that, but the the part that you're building, you know, is, is in that same way of you have to, you're just competing against everyone else who's building a wrapper. And maybe you can find a point of differentiation that, uh, you know, is, is compelling there by building in a super amazing wrapper with super awesome features, but you're not differentiating based on your content and trying to go down the road of like differentiating on content. Like if you're trying to build your own, you know, well, I'm going to build my own, you know, image generation generation model. It's like, great, good luck. You're competing against open AI who has, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and the backing of like all of Microsoft's cloud infrastructure. <laughs> good luck. 
like mm-hmm. you, you're going, you're, you're building this thing that is going to, isn't actually going to be a point of differentiation to the degree unless you are wildly successful with it, in which case you have all kinds of other problems and you're not an indie anymore. And like, you know, congratulations, you're now like a full, fully fledged VC funded startup with lots of other problems and issues, but you're not going to end up the end result of that path is not like the happy indie lifestyle of making software that you enjoy making that is, you know, you're excited about and you can, you know, sort of <laughs> to turn off your computer at the end of the day, walk away from your computer happy and smiling. Uh, that, that just isn't where I think that path goes. So like, it's like, I guess my, my two rules are, are just like never touch servers and then only build features that actually differentiate you. Don't build things that become table stakes as soon as they exist. Yeah, that's that's incredibly good advice. Because I was saying earlier, like, you know, like you were saying with sync, like no one no one cares about sync once they have it. It's just taken taken for granted instantly, right? And there's so many features like that. You know, any kind of, you know, account backup system, you know, like all that it logging logins and password resets and like there's so much stuff like that. People just expect that to be there. And that's that's not an area where it's worth spending a ton of time to make yours like extra special or or good or anything like that. Like it's just just you know something that people always expect to be there. Make it just make it work and move on to the things that that matter to you and to your users in in more concrete ways. You know features they can actually see, uh, things that will differentiate your app from competitors, like that kind of stuff. That's so much more important. And like running backend servers really well. Trust me, I can tell you from experience. I run backend servers pretty well. No one cares. I don't even care. Yeah. <laughs> like no one cares. It's it's just something that is not worth. Uh, it's not worth your time if you can help it. So anyway, um, good luck everybody uh, trying to avoid servers in this era of OpenAI API stuff. <laughs> and uh, sure. and uh, good luck preparing all your questions for WBC Labs. And we will talk to you in two weeks. Bye.